It's Thursday, August 31st, 2017, and you're listening to episode 456 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And right before we were recording, we were talking about the peculiarities of the Transformer universe, including things like robots having ghosts and robots as they get older. And you saw this in Alpha Trion. You saw this in all of the like more ancient Transformers, because some of them were millions and millions of years old, that as they get old, they grow beards and metal mustaches. Beards. Yes, yes, metal beards and mustaches mm-hmm. for no discernible reason. And, uh, they're awesome. And so <laughs> at my Fear the Con game, there was a... The, the plot set up was that the Autobots were trying to strip the Decepticons of some of their more important units, right? So, Like their mustaches and goatees. No, 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 no. Then your players were fools. Well, we were getting there. But <laughs> but what ends up happening is there was this device mm. that they had set up and they were passing it off as some kind of like a super weapon or something. So the group gets sent to investigate it and they were playing the six jets. So Starscream, Thundercracker, Skywarp, Dirge, Ramjet, and what's the one I'm forgetting? Whatever the six was. Sure, Airbus. <laughs> Except it stayed in the air. It crashes very early on in the session. <laughs> yeah. But whatever the sixth one is. Anyways. And so they get out there. Thrust. I think Thrust is the sixth one. And so they get out there and they, they activate the Autobots, activate the device. And it's actually space-time device. And instead of destroying them or whatever, all they were trying to do was send them so far into the future that they would be irrelevant. And so it would basically remove them from this war. And what ends up happening in the intervening timeline is there was an alien race that had been keeping an eye on Earth. And as they saw things like, for example, Unicron didn't show up and the Autobots and Decepticons were not at their full military strength and weren't on a military footing... They come in, invade, and basically take over everything. When they end up in the future, they being the player characters, and they're trying to reconstruct the device to get back to their own timeline to stop all this, to keep it from happening, I had Pat playing my Agent of Chaos as Starstream's ghost. Because, of course, mm-hmm. when a robot dies, it leaves a ghost, right? Yeah. So those those 1980s robots that, like, you know, just did stupid stuff and bleep and bloop when they hit a wall. If you've thrown it away and it's been crushed in a garbage dump somewhere, its ghost is still in your house. And the only reason it's not haunting you is it's so busy running into walls that it's just not an effective right. poltergeist. Now, right? We all know Starscream is the only one that gets a ghost. All the others just die and go off no, to a museum until no. they're rebuilt and come back. Because there was a they couple, go to Silicon Heaven. There was a couple points where they showed the ancient leaders of the Autobots, and I think the Decepticons because their as spark well. Because spark is tied in with the, oh, with the leadership well, we'll of Matrix. We'll get to that in a minute. Hang on, Wayne. Uh, keep your pants on. <laughs> and 
Not if we're talking about Transformers. <laughs> and so they... But I'm going to need you to jump up and down on this sheet. Because <laughs> I'd like to tell your future. Well, you're gonna, I, unfortunately, you're going to have to explain that now. On a negative episode. <laughs> but in full, gory detail. So they get to the future. And one of the few Transformers they're able to meet up with is Megatron has put himself in the back of a cave. And he can't beat these aliens. But because his fusion cannon is still working, if anything tries to come in, he obliterates it. Because it says in the description of his gun that that gun is actually venting power off of a black hole. So that's actually where, according to the lore, that's where he gets, I don't know why they call it a fusion cannon. But when it's a black hole can. Fuses reality and unreality. I I don't know. Uh, Someone said science word, fusion. Sure. That's right. Let's go with that. What color is the beam? That's the real science word. Mm. It's kind of this, yeah, purplish blue sort of, I don't know. Science color. Science color, yes. (laughs) It's part of the Crayola science Mm. box set. (laughs) (laughs) I can't find my lab coat. Yes. (laughs) The actual, the white color lab lab coat. coat. I can't find it. it. You have like G.I. Joe Red and Cobra Blue. (laughs) This matte yellow. Yeah. (laughs) And then you you have Schrodinger's crayon. Where you have no idea what it is until you color with it, right? Like when you they look, have those, right? Yeah, you know, they have the mystery crayons. You didn't sure, know precisely. It's like that stupid dress thing, blue and black. Yeah, is it white and gold or blue and black or what? Whatever the hell it was, it's like that. They have a Schrodinger's color where you don't know what it is until you color with it. But anyway, so Megatron was in the back of this cave, and it's all these thousands and thousands or whatever umpteen years, science in the future. years, in the science future. years in the future, and so of course Megatron. He's, you know, all cracked, and he's, he's, his metal's not perfect, and he's got some uh, jury-rigged repairs. But, of course, he has a beard, right? Because he's reached that age. Right. And he's Megatron, so it's the most majestic robot beard it's we've ever seen. Right? It's an intimidating beard. Does Pat's character, Starstream's ghost, bitch about how he could grow a better beard <laughs> if he was still alive? Not that specifically, but he did. Oh, I told him... Pat, that is. I told him, I said, look, what I want you to do, because Pat, I don't think he had nothing signed up that slot. So he asked me, he said, Dan, I know you're on a Transformers game. If one of your players doesn't show, can I be an alternate? And I said, sure. All the players showed. So I said, Pat, you know what? Let's let let me hook you up like this. I want you to play Starstream's Ghost, and you're only going to appear once they're in the future, because the way realities are crossing, this is at the point where Starscream should have died. And so there's all this, you know, once again, the realities are conflicting. So I told Pat, I said, your main goal is to antagonize (laughs) the player who's playing the living Starscream, if we can call him living, Hmm. but the functional Starscream. And you are supposed to constantly harangue him about his failures, his screw-ups, how this is his fault. Because really all you're doing is Starscream because he can't take responsibility is projecting all of his failures onto his past self. So he's like, you know, if you hadn't been such an idiot, I'd be alive and all these things would be better. And so he was doing this. And then all the while in somewhere like distant Earth orbit, they actually, these aliens had Unicron and they were keeping him there because of the fact that his power source is enormous. And they were just... They were using him. They had mostly dismantled him, but they were using what was left of his body and consciousness as a source of power. 
And so Unicron, what was once again, what was left of him, was communicating with the ghost Starscream, trying to tell him subconsciously, you know, this is how you have to set things right. And Chad asked me, was this Wi-Fi? And I said, no, of course not. Because just like Starscream has a ghost, this is telepathy. Huh. Because, right? Just just because. And then Wayne, <laughs> you made I a comment. totally not that into Transformers like these yeah. two are. Yeah, I, Wayne, I mean, I enjoyed them as a kid. I preferred GoBots. Because when oh, I threw You're disgusting. A, when I threw a GoBot at my buddy, it fing hurt. Yeah. And it was only like three dollars for price. <laughs> right, if it broke, who cares? I mean it was like yeah, it was like twenty five bucks, twenty five eighteen nineteen eighty bucks to yeah. replace your GoBot. Whereas it was if you did that with like That was their only superiority, but Yeah. They're about three bucks. And well, and they did technically come first for whatever that's worth and to they anyone. Robots, they're cyborgs. Were they? Yeah. I, I did not know that. I now, okay. Hazy recollection of the 80s, right? So I might be wrong about this, but I do seem to remember them talking about how the GoBots were either people or aliens, but they were brains in these transforming robotic. Huh. I do suits, remember, for lack of a better word. All right, there was there was a, a TV show and a toy line that I could not for life you tell me a name of, and it was fairly obscure. Whenever I look at this 1980s nostalgia stuff, nobody ever references it. And so there's somebody listening right now who know what knows what I'm talking about. And please, please, please post this like on our blogs, feartheboot.com. Please post the name of this because I want to remember what it was. But there was a, a toy line and cartoon where the good guys drove around and they were all human. And they drove around in these like white and gold vehicles that had like weapons mounted on the back. And the bad guys were in these like black and green vehicles that were more organic looking and they didn't have human drivers. They had these like highly evolved like plant brains. All their like weapons were like plant based. So like the one that I was really big into had this kind of big like wrecking ball sort of thing on its back. Like Miley Cyrus. Or no, who was <laughs> no, that, that was Miley Cyrus. Okay. Yes. Oh I got it. You're you're correct. But no that, that that's fungal. I, I'm talking <laughs> Uh, no, I'm talking, these were plants, and I don't know what this was called, but those were, at least the bad guys, were all plant brains. And, like, if you got the toy, instead of a driver, there was just, like, this, there's, like, this brain mass in there, right? Like Daleks or something. Mm-hmm. There's just this hmm. this atrophied brain mass in there. Daleks aren't atrophied. They're the superior race. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, they're not. Sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm a cyber, right, cyber But, but Wayne... Yeah. You were accusing the Autobot Matrix of Leadership, which I think was just a terrible plot device. Just a big necklace? Sort of. It was more like... Kind of a necklace because it's inside the chest, generally. Yeah. Mm. But to me... It got worn like a necklace. It was a plot device because they created an enemy so big they had no idea how to destroy him. So rather than figure that out, they blew him up with wisdom. And I I made a comment that it gets around. Yeah, it does kind of whore itself around because... Every time a leader dies, it slurps up what's left of them and then just goes on to the next person. Okay. It goes and- from Optimus to Hot Rod to Optimus. Well, actually, I missed one. It goes from Optimus to Ultra Magnus to Hot Rod to Optimus to Ultra Magnus yeah. to Optimus. And if you go through the the history of Transformers, like all the seasons of shows, when oh, they... God. 
when they <laughs> please wa- don't. <laughs> it's just one show, but where they walk through the gallery of leaders, right? Yep. And and these ghosts. This is how we got talking about it. Was these ghosts of these other Transformer leaders who had been primes in the past? They had been star dot prime in the past, who had also carried the matrix of leadership. Start, I don't know, giving some kind of useless advice or, or something I didn't care about because they weren't Devastator or Bruticus or Unicron, but something, something Japanese advice. And then you accuse it of being a whore, which I, I don't know if I'd call it a whore. I just call it, it, it was pointless. I, I didn't like its existence. I, I said it gets around. There's no accusation of anything wrong with getting around. You're the one that's putting words to it. Okay, fine. I'm slut shaming the Autobot Matrix of leadership. Yeah. I'm saying it gets around. That's the. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it getting around, but it gets around. Because it's some nerds, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can we talk about tabletop role playing games? All right. Uh, we just did. We, uh, yeah. That was that was a gaming story. Uh, it was a no, gaming no, story. No, they're awful. It was a gaming story. How long we've we been doing this, Dan? We've been doing this nine years. Eleven and a half. What did What did we talk about on our first couple of episodes? How terrible. Gaming stories. And then are. I probably apologized for yeah. it, so it's all a wash. There yeah. is an audience for gaming stories. Terrible, terrible audience who should feel dirty. No. Dirty. Dirty. How many times have we started a topic and then not told the story because we thought gaming stories were bad? Because they are. Only to have people tell us, you spent so much time talking around the gaming story that if you would have just said the story, it would have all made more sense. Yeah, he's not wrong. Was there a point to this? I mean, I thought we were talking about robot beards. Oh, no, there's no point to this gaming oh, okay. story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Oh, I know. No. Oh, I know. This was just a Transformers way. I, I, oh, yeah. I was riveted. <laughs> get it? Oh, get it? Get it? So, because right. they're robots in metal. I do have, all right, so I, I do have a bit of gaming advice that came from an event that everyone is sick of hearing about. But I'm going to try and take it from another The McGregor-Merriweather fight? No. I'm totally stoked for that because it's going to be... It's not going to be a good fight. It's just mm-hmm. going to be spectacle. And that's what I want. I want a total that's show. That's what all fights should be, a spectacle. Yes, I agree. I want it to last, like, ten seconds so everyone is disappointed by it. I and I can feel the no. outrage what, from what, Facebook without even opening the I'm app. I'm telling you right now, Wayne, I would be completely satisfied if McGregor, who's completely insane... And Mayweather, who's a narcissist and not this the is brightest. an MMA guy versus right, right. an actual What I want to see like a box. Is, you know is, more about it than I do. <laughs> is Mayweather is known for he he he's very good at rope and dope. He's got a lot of footwork, right? So what he's gonna do is he's gonna draw McGregor out, try to wear him out, but McGregor has a temper. And so what I'm hoping will happen is because of the fact that McGregor just he just needs publicity, right? He's not a boxer. If he gets kicked out of the league, he doesn't care. If the Boxing Federation bans him for life, doesn't change his career. What I'm hoping will happen is Mayweather frustrates him and frustrates him and frustrates him until he finally loses it and spin kicks his head. And then the ref calls it. And then, and then, the then ref there's calls like it. people are throwing chairs. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and McGregor is never allowed back and he's disqualified and loses the fight. And then fight. Tyson's like, look at this. Thurka. Somebody in the audience screams, true war. Shots <laughs> running out. <laughs> and it'll be awesome. So, all right. War's broken. Yeah. 
I, and I do want to talk about politics. Uh, the, now, okay, so let's talk about gaming stories yes. that I care about, right, that well, I'm involved well, in, that are about me. Let me give a <laughs> let me give a piece of it of, of general advice about role playing about yep. about a subject other than that fight that people are sick of hearing about. But I'm going to try and approach it from a different angle. All right. So living in St. Louis, we were under the totality path yes. of the solar eclipse that just occurred all right at least just occurred as of this recording it was yesterday and count me as one of the people completely geeking out about it and you know i found it utterly amazing right being a science my house geek. was in the path of hotel yeah same, as, same here as, as was ours and we had a lot of carl's extended family that are the venezuelans living in diaspora because you really don't want to live in venezuela right now i'll leave that alone where it is but i want to talk about something else about the eclipse other than the Eclipse. moon blocking the sun. Yeah. All right. Because of the fact that it actually did make me think about a GMing technique or an aspect of GMing that I think deserves some attention. So during the moment of totality, so when the moon was fully blocking the sun, except that little coronal ring. Yeah, and you can look at it without Right, you look at it. In fact, hurting yourself. if you look at it through the Eclipse glasses, you actually don't see anything. It's not bright enough. And... Right before and right after that, it's what they call the diamond ring, where there's just a tiny little speck of light, and it's you're, you're mostly, you know, it's 90-some-odd percent obscured. Just being the sort of person that I am, I'm always curious about the things that nobody else is paying attention to. And so I started looking around. Like, I started watching everything else that was occurring. Now, I did certainly look up and see the totality. I mean, that's... And then when everyone's looking up, you were stealing wallets. Yeah, oh, exactly. I was... Yeah. I was, I was grabbing wallets and driving off with cars. And, yeah, <laughs> and you're like, those suckers. <laughs> I, I was sneaking up behind people and doing stealth takedowns. And, uh, you know, you get more XP that way. Yeah, exactly. And then I'd fold them out and send them back to Mother Base. And, <laughs> right. But, but you no, know, all right. So what I was doing is I was looking around at all the other things that were going on. Things that nobody, at least that I've seen, is really talking about, or at least not talking about that much. Okay, so for example... As it starts getting dark, like really dark, it starts to confuse nature in general because you get animals that are nocturnal or, if I'm pronouncing this right, crepuscular, which are the ones that are active at dawn and, and at, mm-hmm. at evening, which think night has come. And so they start behaving accordingly. For example, I watched a whole bunch of birds migrate in one direction. I think it was east. And right before totality, they might all suddenly were shooting off to the east to go back to their nests. I think it was east. And then once it passed and the sun starts coming out again, you see all these same birds going back the other direction to get back to birding, whatever it is they do. (laughs) You you hear all these crickets and off-cycle cicadas coming out and starting their nightly routine. Uh, One of the other things that I noticed is that as the sun was getting blocked out, things get dark, but it's not a nighttime type dark. Because keep in mind that the way that this works is there is actually a broken... It's not that big. Well, and and there is a broken spectrum of light. There's a proportion between the apparent size of the moon and the apparent size of the sun that causes this really weird spectrum to break around the side of the moon That is a very unnatural color. And so I'm looking around as this is going on, and I'm suddenly noticing that the whole world is a color I have never seen under natural light. It was this kind of weird purplish color. It wasn't 
brightly lit, you know, yellow white, like the sun is up. It's not gray blue, like the sun is setting. It was like somebody put a filter over a picture. Yeah. And it's like this weird purplish shade that you never, ever see. That was one of the big surprises a lot of people had was just how much light was still there while it was going on. Sure. And, And one of the other things that somebody showed me was really cool is normally you see the sun filtering through trees and you see the shadow you would expect. Here's the the dark spots where the leaves are. And then where the sun filters through, you get this patchy light. Well, what happens instead is as you're close to totality, either on the front or back end of that, that instead splits into all these crescent shapes. So where the trees are casting shadows, instead of seeing the normal shadow, you see this whole array of like crescent shapes all over the ground and it's really cool stuff now my point is i'm not saying nobody's talking about this but this is not the stuff that is the center of the action of an eclipse all right what's my point for role-playing games my point is transformers my yeah (laughs) when you think about robot beards right and and ghosts and unicron no my my point is was that really unicron that blocked out the sun (laughs) my, my point is that when you describe an event you're game mastering you describe an event it becomes very easy to focus on what you might consider the most important part of the event the party walks around a corner boom there's a dragon in that room and you go to great length to describe the dragon as you ought obviously this is a big attention grabbing thing just like the eclipse was but i think if it's done right and in the right dosing, you don't want to confuse the scene too much. You don't want to have so many things. You don't it, want to describe the tapestries and what's on the tapestries and the rich histories of the tapestry and how there's a subplot in the tapestries. Oh, by the way, there's a dragon and the tapestries are from this time and this. Yeah. Yeah. I and, mean, and then an hour and a half later, you get back to the dragon, which is the, the yeah. probably the only thing any of the characters would be looking at anyway. But I think there is something that we can remember which is that when you are describing a focal point, they walk into a town and there's a festival going on. Well, obviously you want to describe the festival. You want to describe it appealing to various senses. You want to describe the action. But what else is going on? You know, for example, this big festival's going on. What's the things that the normal observer wouldn't notice but add a lot of flavor to the scene? Are there people who, because of their social station, can't afford to buy the right sweets or the right festival clothing, who are watching this from the sidelines? Are there people who live in this city, but their ancestors were on the losing side of that war, and so they're kind of off doing their own thing? You know, there's always this other stuff going on. When, the dra- when you walk into the room and see the dragon, yes, you ought to focus primarily on the dragon, But can you pause to describe the low-lying smoke, the glint of the metal on the floor, the bodies of adventurers who have tried this before, the types of things that are probably not the bullet points in your game notes, but are still so critical to painting a full picture of the event? Because there was so much going on yesterday that was not specifically the moon blocking out the sun. You know, there's all this stuff that I observed that I think was in many ways as cool as that moment of totality. 
that I think a lot of people probably missed because they were all looking up and didn't pause to look down and look around them and see all of this stuff. Uh, or afterwards, after the eclipse was over, if I was GMing this, I might describe the eclipse starting, the eclipse ending, people ooing and eyeing, but there was other stuff going on. Chad lives next to a school, and kids at the school were all cheering. We had fireworks near me. It's the Midwest. People shoot off fireworks for anything. <laughs> we had it here, too. As soon as the eclipse ended, people were shooting off fireworks. I don't have any idea why, but nonetheless, you could hear the booms. There were all these other things that figured into the sum of that event. One of my complaint is probably too strong a word, but something that I've noticed with, I would say, just about every single Game Master I have played under. A common critique. Yeah, a, a common critique is the players enter a scene. Again, we'll use your, your dragon, right? And the Game Master rightly wants to tell the players the important details, drop a couple of hints says maybe the story or the scene or the gives or whatever, so some hooks for the players to kind of latch on to, some very important information, the dragon, and kind of let the players do their thing. I've always noticed that people really don't describe or very lightly describe, like architecture, for instance. You go into a town... You go to an inn. Oh, what does this inn look like? Okay, well, it's a poor inn, or it's a rich inn, or it's an inn with a quest in it, or it's an inn that is called the Inn of the Black Cat, or it's an inn that you've heard of, and you know, you've been here before, and the meat pies are really good, and there's this guy who owns it. What does it look like? Because if I describe that to each of you just now, each one of you has an image in your mind of what the inn looks like, but it's all different. So, you know, one of you might be thinking it's like this brick structure in a sort of Victorian thing. Others of you might think it is a lonely inn on a dirty road that's made of boards and stuff and a medieval thing. And, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. Some of you might think it's one story. Some of you might think it's two stories. Some of you might think it's a big, broady house in the middle of a, in the middle of a city or something. And I noticed that what it looks like isn't important. So a lot of game masters don't give those details or descriptions. Now, I think game masters should, and I try to, but you run into two problems. The first problem is you can only describe so much. It, again, yeah. with the dragon well, in fact, thing. You, sh you should only describe so much. Right. You know, the tapestry and tells a story, and here's the subplots, and here's what it looks like. Oh, there's a dragon, and then there's this many, and blah, 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 and tapestries. Hour later, oh, yeah, the dragon. The other thing is you will never be as good at describing things as your players' imaginations. So that's why I was going to ask you, is it really important that we all have a different vision of right. this bakery? Because does it matter from the point of you're running the game? If you're going to start a fire and one person has an idea of a brick and one has a personal idea of a wood building, maybe well, it does yeah, there's, make a difference. There's but outside of that, does it really matter if I'm picturing this nice brick building with a glass front window and Dan's picturing a wooden okay, building with something else. Okay, I will say why it's important, but it it's not important in that well, I want to tell you that it's brick. Other than the fire right. thing, which you're absolutely right about. But location should have personality. If you read H.P. Lovecraft, he is huge into the architecture of New England. That's like where he lived. And he goes into a lot of detail describing houses and gables and, and things like that. And he does it in such a way as it 
gives the location personality. And I think that that's what you should do as a game master. You know, is it important for the players to know what kind of shingles are on the roof? No, it doesn't. But if you can describe it in such a way that it gives a personality. So we have our our inn, right? And I'm describing it to you. And I say that it is, there's a hole in the roof. And you can tell that this, there's like three different kind of shingles that look like they've been half nailed there. Well, that gives a personality. The players can make assumptions based on that. You want to give little details to give that location character. Uh, yeah, and I, I think Chad's got the right of it, is, is when you raise a valid point that you can belabor it yeah. painfully so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases, like Chad said, the player is going to come up with a bigger idea than what you're going to describe. Sure. Yeah. I think it's part of the Game Master's job, too, to have a sort of awareness of, let's say I describe this in, right? And I don't give a lot of detail. I give you guys enough to, like we did before, where each of you have a different idea in your mind. If you have some really good role players, they are going to start saying stuff that you did not describe, yet they don't think you didn't describe it, right? Because it's the truth of their in their mind. So they might say, okay, well, I go up to the big wooden door and I bang on it and I slam it open. Well, I never described a door. But if I'm good as a game master, that's a big wooden door in front. It's not two doors. It's not a little door. It's not a door that's painted white. It's not one of those Western swinging doors. It's a big wooden door that just got kicked off its hinges. And you keep that consistent. And it that becomes a little bit real. The other players, how, the psych, how psychology works is that people build narratives to explain things that they don't have the full story for. So everybody has this totally different image in their mind. Dan, Brodor, Wayne, three different buildings. Wayne kicks in a big, thick wooden door. It's three different doors, but but it's a big wooden door. But now, unbeknownst and subconsciously to Dan and Brodor, doors changed in their mind. It has always been a big wooden door in their mind. Maybe it wasn't a detail their brain filled in. Maybe they did have a detail that changed and their brain rejected their other one because the truth of it is now on the table. And as a game master, there's a little clues. You don't have to belabor it. You have to make it a big deal. But if you can detect those little things and have an awareness of them and then keep them consistent, that helps build character for location. Let me go back to the eclipse for a moment. I think if I was to describe the eclipse and to, once again, let's say it's a role-playing game. And if I was to tell you Everything that was going on at that moment, everything that I noticed, every person you robbed, every person I robbed, all the paper I stacked, I'm still stacking it. (laughs) Then you guys would be pretty quickly, pretty bored with that description. I I think it would detract from any story I was telling. It would be irrelevant information, but I think there's a lot I can bring to it by slipping in those otherwise unnoticed details. So if I just say something like, for example, there's an eclipse coming. Uh, As your characters look up, you see the moon getting closer and closer to the sun and then crossing over it. And then for a brief moment, everything is black and there's this white corona around it. And you hear people cheering in the distance and then it begins to move away. All right, that's one description. But now let's say I start adding to that the things that people notice but maybe don't notice at the fully conscious level. 
it creates a very different scene. So if I say, okay, the sun's approaching, or the moon rather is approaching the sun, and it begins to cross over it, and as it does, you notice that the birds seem unsettled, and they're rushing back to their nests as if they think it's night, and you can start to hear crickets chirping, and the whole world around you becomes this unnatural shade of a sort of a purplish color that doesn't look like night. And for a moment, maybe just maybe you can start to understand why your ancient ancestors thought this was a spiritual cataclysm. And then it reaches totality. You know, you have, there's that blackness in the middle of a white corona. And then it moves away again. And as the birds rush back to their homes or away from their homes to go get food and the crickets go back to sleep or whatever the hell it is crickets do, they go back to smoking joints. <laughs> and you, you hear the people down the street celebrating, shooting off fireworks. I've painted a much richer scene, and that didn't take that long. I mean, I, I didn't time it, but I'm guessing that was under 60 seconds. It did not do one of two things. It, number one, it did not just torture that description. But number two, Wayne, to your point, I didn't fill in all the blocks. I didn't fill in every empty space. For example, I never mentioned specifically, where are these neighbors? I never, how many of them are there? What types of birds were these? You know, I, there's still a lot of room in there for interpretation. Where are you standing? Are you sitting down? Are you looking up? Do you have your eclipse glasses? Do you have your cereal box with the hole poked in it? I, I, are you? <laughs> My uncle had one of those. So, but and, and not it had nothing to do with an eclipse. Well, the, the other important point is is that none of that additional description detracted from the eclipse. Right? None of that would have detracted from yes. the dragon. There was something that I left out. Real truth of the event, which is right about the time of the totality of the eclipse. I heard the siren of what I'm presuming to be an ambulance rushing down the street out in front of my house. And it did kind of occur to me at the time it happened, real life, that, wow, it must be weird having to go to pick somebody up while this this weird event, you know, this unique thing is unfolding right there in the sky over you and in front of you. And that did cross my mind when it occurred, but Broder, you're correct. That's an example of a detail I left out because while it's interesting... It's completely irrelevant. It's completely tangential. It doesn't add to the scene I'm trying to draw your attention to. If I, as a game master, got into the ambulance and then had to explain, okay, by the way, this is probably not a big deal because you live not all that far from a fire station that has paramedics and you live around a lot of old people and it's probably nothing <laughs> and pretty quickly start thinking, well, well, then why the hell is it in here? I would immediately be thinking, there's something going on there. <laughs> He's trying yeah. to convince me it's nothing. Yeah, and that's the problem with these details, too, is the whole Chekhov's gun thing. I mean, we are so conditioned in our entertainment and our stories that if it is a detail that is there, then it is important and it yeah. will come up and to be used. Yeah. Yeah, let me go back to the Transformers game. One of the things, <laughs> the, look, the look on Chad's face was just like, please, please go back to the Transformers game. One of the things that I was able to communicate without ever giving any plot exposition, because when they that when that device activated, it was not clear to them what had occurred. Certainly the world around them changed, 
But exactly what it had caused was not immediately clear. But when they found Megatron in that cave, and I described how he was in this cave, and I think he had some solar panels out front that were slowly, like he was. He spent most of his time in this kind of sleep mode or shutdown mode with minimal systems running, but he was using that those solar panels to slow charge his weapons and such. And, and for the fusion cannon. For the fusion. He's ready to rock at all times. And, and when they got in there, and I described Megatron having salvaged parts and cracked metal and the beard, <laughs> they instantly knew they were in the future because Megatron had a beard. And that's what robots do when they get old, is they grow a beard. <laughs> see, Chad, you really hit on something that I see as one of my weaknesses as a GM. I'm You're not, too good. I'm not good at describing mm-hmm. buildings and architecture and things like that. I'm horrible at it. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just like, those aren't vocabulary words that pop into my mind. I don't, like, I have the image of the building in my mind, and I never know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. And... Like senses and things I can do, smells, all of that. There's got to be something like an architect. There's got to be something like an architecture for dummies or something like that. Yeah, and well, and I do a lot of more modern day games, and Mm -hmm. if it's set in the real world, even more of a problem. I just, if I've been in a building, something in my mind just like, oh, it's that building, right? And I don't necessarily describe it. So, for example, in a uh, game, probably three or four sessions. Mm-hmm. ago you know chad's character and pat's character go into one of the east side strip clubs i don't think i described that club in any way there were a lot of hoes there but yeah <laughs> there were white court vampires that were right feeding off of you know the people but i don't think i described anything about the building yeah pat i knew knew exactly everything <laughs> about that building yeah every square inch every sticky carpet yeah. but i never even <laughs> thought about going into the details of describing a strip club. Right. Because I just, I don't know if it just slipped my mind or if I thought it immediately brings up certain images. It doesn't Mm. really matter how it looks. Yeah. I mean, and I remember the scene because I had to ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Because I've never been in it. Like, what is that smell? And Pat was like, (laughs) that's feminine deodorant spray. That when you walk past the third bouncer and you're hit by this palpable wave, you can (laughs) taste it. You think it's hairspray, but it's not acrid-like hairspray. But there's this thing, and it's this smell (laughs) to cover the stench of the body and the shame of the patrons. That's FDS. I remember you asking questions. Pat had to ask no questions. He had the complete layout map of the building in his head. In his mind, he knew where the champagne room was. He knew how poorly lit and why it was poorly lit. Because nobody wants to see your C-section scar. I had to to take one of the white court vampires questionnaire. So my character had to grab one of the strippers, the white court vampire, and go into one of the private rooms for a private dance where I was going to question her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had to ask, is there a door? I, d- I didn't know if there was a door or not. Well, that's you know, how you got in it, there. It, well, no, I mean, like, closed <laughs> privacy. Right, right, right. Is there a camera in the room? I would assume that there probably should be for the safety of everyone. But then again, depends on the club. club. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what you're paying for is a private dance yeah. or a little bit more. And when I think back, those are the exact kind of things that I should describe. Mm-hmm. Because, Other bouncers. Okay, there's bouncers everywhere. Okay, what does that mean? I've never been in one of these places. 
Does that mean like there's a bouncer every five feet so that no creepers touch the girls? Or there's just one dude half asleep at the yeah. door? How I should have described that is you're going down a hall. There mm-hmm. is a beefy, burly man sitting in a chair that checks you as you go in. Mm-hmm. The hall has... What do you mean check? Like pat down? Or no, just you looks you over oh, okay. as you go in. <laughs> And you then, don't have an assault rifle and a katana on your back. You're good. Yeah, those, the some roles, of those places will frisk yeah, you, yeah, but yeah. they'll have a dancer at the front door. Because, I mean, I've had my... You're going to get frisked. Yeah. yeah. The walls are all red. You can go by each like, room. There's no doors. And when she leads you into the room, you see there is a, a bed and there is a chair. And there is a camera in the corner aimed right at the bed. There are no no mirrors. Hmm. You smell the smell of cigarette smoke throughout the room. Gross. Things like that. I never described any of that. Yeah. That would have set the room for you and made mm-hmm. it easier for you to interact. And being a vampire, if you need to like destroy her with direct light, just turn on a black light. No, she's a white cord vampire. <laughs> <though. Yeah. laughs> oh, nice. Well, and that was the interesting thing about that particular setting. Sure, there were big, beefy guys that were, that were the bouncers. They weren't the dangerous ones. No, it was a white core vampire. The dancers were yeah. white core vampires feeding off of the clients. They were the ones that will throw you through a wall. Yeah. No, they didn't need to throw my character through a wall. It's like I got into a fight with one and the others showed up. And then Wayne, because I don't read the Dresden books, Wayne let me know, okay, at this point, you are now in over your head. You will get your ass kicked because there's like six of them. And they had already mentally fed from him as well. Yeah. So he's getting ready to pass out. From mental strain. And then I had to ask him more architectural questions. Yep. Okay, these private rooms, are these like internal walls or is it like a brick wall? And he's like, oh no, these are like internal See, walls. Because this... I did a Kool-Aid man right through them. Only I sprayed money everywhere to get everyone's attention. <laughs> this is why we need to have a crossover Dresden Hunters hunted game. Because right about then when Wayne says they fed off you, you're in over your head. That's when I'd assume my final form. <laughs> as a freemason because um, <laughs> they're the vampire hunters in dresden megatron with a robot beard i don't know <laughs> you know unicron's been around a long time he's got a beard yeah yeah I, he hates everybody <laughs> yeah and vampires included a beard uh, all right so the devil's in the details yeah, yeah. well you can't i can't have too many details precisely i think you can you can take details that are so irrelevant as to be distracting or to be unintentional red herring leads. And I think you can also torture yeah. the point. So, but, but but on the other hand, you have my story where he had to ask a lot of questions because I didn't do enough to set that. Yeah, it's, it's one of my biggest weaknesses. I you think, want to practice this in real life. It's a skill that I've picked up over the years. And I don't know where I picked it up. I have no idea how I got this. But... Whenever something's going down, and if you can't plan for this because you don't expect it, right? Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, somebody in front of you drops down grasping their chest, and everybody's yelling, call 911, right? Something mm-hmm. crazy happens. And for some reason, it is in my nature that the very first thing I do is look everywhere else. That's not to say I won't help the person, because I certainly will. But the first thing I do is I check my surroundings. I see what else is going on. And I did that with the eclipse. When you know we were approaching totality and everybody else was looking at the sky, I was wandering around examining everything else. And 
I know it's hard to teach yourself that skill because you can't practice being surprised by weird, unexpected events. But it is the best advice I have for how to practice that in real life is wait for something to go down. You're in the mall and two punk kids are bumping chests and about to have a fight. Don't look at them. Look at how their friends are reacting. Are their friends trying to break it up or egg them on? What are the other shoppers doing? Are they getting ready to get involved? Are they whipping out their cameras to film it? Are they pretending not to notice as they hurry by? You know, look at everything else but the focal point of attention. And you start to get a much bigger picture. You start to notice these things that are all part of the scene. And some of these things have real effects. It's not just window dressing. And some of it is. So, you know, like the, the purplish color of the world, it's window dressing to the eclipse. But if you talk about, like, the fight in the mall, the fact that the friends are either egging them on or trying to break them up, this is plot. This is character. This is going to affect the options the players have and how the NPCs are going to react to them. It's not just blah, blah setting. Well, that's, that's good advice for noticing things like that. But what about advice for actually giving that out? I think that the job of the game master is to take that scene, like, exactly as you described, and then start adding character to the scene. The mall is lightly crowded. And it's a summer day, and you know how they have windows way, way up in the ceiling, and there are shafts of light coming through. And this is an old mall, so you see the (laughs) dust motes flying. The person at the uh, Auntie Anne's pretzel thing that they're standing right in front of is looking nervously around. And But there are like five people in line who aren't noticing, and they just want their pretzels. The fake plants go up into the sky, and, you know, even they have a dull luster Wayne, to them. I've got two specific techniques I found that help with this. One is delay the payoff. All right, so here, what I mean by that. Like edging? Yes. <laughs> Actually, Brodor, the, that, that's the note that I wrote trying to remind myself. <laughs> nice, so. nice. All right. So, but, yes, it's kind of like edging, but delay getting there. All right, so, for example, if the punchline is, excuse the pun, that two teenagers are about to fight, don't start there. Don't start with you see two teenagers bumping chests and about to fight. Start with all the other stuff. So as you guys walk around to this side of the mall, you smell the Auntie M's pretzels. You notice a crowd of people building up. And as they're building up, it seems like older shoppers are kind of walking around. And, of course, this is going to get their attention. Out, and you say, and this is out of character for such an old, rundown mall with the shafts of light and the dust and the dull, yeah. fake plants. And, and you then get to, and, and let me stress again, all things in moderation. Don't stretch this out too long. But what you do is you build those other points to start creating the scene before you get to, in the middle of it all, you see two kids getting ready to fight. All right. The other bit of dragon and, and tapestries. Uh, sure. And why? a robot with a beard. And strippers. <laughs> and strippers. <laughs> with beards. <laughs> with beards. <laughs> but they have metal beards, so it's kind of weird. But you go with it. Metal beer salad. <laughs> but the, the other thing that I would say is mentally look around. Have you guys seen the newer uh, Sherlock Holmes movies, the Robert Downey Jr. ones? No. Okay. So there's this thing they do. They're they're pretty good movies, and there's only two of them. But there's, there's no Jeremy Brett. But no, pretty- but they're still pretty good. 
One of the things that they do in there that's kind of neat is they do this, it's kind of like what they did with CSI, where they go inside his head to show how he's solving the mystery, where he's sitting in a room, it'll just start, you'll hear him narrating like old man by the window, reading a book, book out of date two years ago, no longer relevant, man of his taste wouldn't be reading it. It shows this stop time of like, you understand that only some fraction of a second has passed, but he is examining the room. He's thinking through the possibilities. When he gets to some of the fight scenes, he plays out the fight in his head. He's like, I'm going to pull his left arm this way. Then he's going to do this. Then I do that. Then he does this. Then I do that. And then bam, they, they actually cut the action and it plays out exactly like that. Cause you know, he's this super intellectual guy do that. All right. What I mean is when you're writing your game notes or when you're executing the game, and you get to a point like that, put yourself mentally in the scene. Stop and think, okay, I'm in a mall. Two kids are about to have a fight. What do I see? I look around. What's going on? Clothing store over here, Forever 21. Some kids are coming out of it because they're probably friends of this person or one of these two kids. Or even if not, they're just a bunch of kids who want the free entertainment. Old people. One of them yelling for security, the rest of them trying to get out of there. Security! Uh, yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to see them. Players would probably get a better view of what's going on if they went up the stairs nearby to look down through one of the railings above. And, and just put yourself in that scene. Project yourself into it. What is it you see? What is it you smell? What is it you feel? And then start describing that to the players. So I think that's the two approaches I would use to get there. If you listen to the most recent Skies of Glass uh, AP. Which is awesome. Which was. I don't like to pat myself on the back or anyone else <laughs> on the back, but it was really good. When we got to the, the, the scene at the end, and I won't say what it was because I don't want to spoil that, but when we got to the scene at the end, what was actually going to occur there was pretty much the last thing I described. I talked about the distant drum beats. I talked about the theater of it. <laughs> I talked about where people were standing. I even had one of the people that was involved in it explain the symbolism behind how everything was arranged. I got all these other things in there before the action occurred, right? That's the delayed orgasm we were talking about, the edging. Like if I had described that hallway to you like I just did here, right? that would have been a very different scene for you, I think. Probably. There definitely would have been less questions. Yeah, and that's one of the things that can kill the flow of a game i think kills immersion a lot yeah is there's asking a lot of detailed questions like okay you're here in the scene and we're gonna do some role play and we're gonna do some action and it's great well well wait a minute i have a question about this here's the answer and we're back to it we're gonna talk to well wait a minute um i have a question about this here's the answer okay now we're gonna go back to the scene and we're gonna you know you, if you keep doing that it kills it but honestly don't beat yourself up about Wayne it was great it was no. great I got to burst through a wall <laughs> throwing money in the air <laughs> leaping over a stage while strippers chased me yeah. it was beautiful you cast foggle ones <laughs> and escape yeah. yeah it's fun. I burst through a wall like the Kool-Aid man Ma- at a strip club. material components $40 and one <laughs> affects 20 square feet of area <laughs> it was great yeah it's one thing that you as a GM do naturally at least it seems natural yeah. you Thanks. describe 
the scenes quite a bit. You make mm. the the setting actually feel alive. And that's something I always struggle with. It's Wayne, another way you can do that or practice it outside of games, pull up random pictures of scenery and look at them. Pictures of scenery, photographs, and practice describing them just like right there on the spot. Imagine that's where a moment or a scene of the role-playing game was taking place. Describe it. It's what? something I struggle with while writing, but with writing, I can go back, reread, yeah. and edit. Where when gaming, it's more... It's better just it's keep off the cuff. going. Yeah. yeah. Well, and remember when, when... And this goes not the way... This goes to everybody. Remember that when describing scenes and giving character and giving personality, there's more than just the visual. There's sounds. There's smells. There's yep. temperatures. There's t- like when you walk into this seedy dive bar, you can taste the smoke in the air and it's stale and sticky and just clings to your body. Wayne, I'm going to give you two artists that I think are great for having simple scenes. Yoko Ono. Yoko. (laughs) (laughs) I was broken in my impersonation. (laughs) No. There are two artists that I think are great for that. Number nine. Um, As strange as it is, Norman Rockwell. Because his scenes are so infinitely relatable that it's an opportunity to draw the details that would otherwise get overlooked. If you want something that's a bit more third person it's not something you may be able to relate to so easily because you don't feel like you're there you feel like an outsider looking in is an artist by the name of edward hopper he's most known for painting of a a diner at night i think it's called night hawks or something like that that he did oh it's only been reproduced a zillion yeah it's an easy painting to find but look for any edward hopper paintings and try and describe them as if they were scenes of a role-playing game and capture those other details another thing that if anybody listening to this wants to give themselves challenge as a GM, have the players go to a location and don't describe any single visual thing they see. That Unless it's like, there's Terry, the quest giver, and there's Joe, the dragon. But as far as the location, only describe it in smells or sounds or impressions, that sort of thing. But don't tell them you're doing this and see if you can convey the sense of a place. Now, don't make it a mystery. Don't say you go into a seedy, smelly place. You know, you go into this bar, the door opens. And again, it's like you can taste the acrid cigarette smoke and it clings to your body. There's the press of people, but you don't actually describe any physical thing. And it's really cool for the players if you do it right, because they get all this great character and then they fill in the details in their mind. You know what would be cool as a challenge for that? I would love to run a superhero game and have somebody play the equivalent of Daredevil. A blind character. Mm. And where you have to describe what they sense. Yeah. And then you describe what it looks like to everyone else. That's totally great. We can do a Marvel DC crossover and Justice Gods Among Us. I play Mr. Freeze. Somebody else plays Daredevil. What if, you, what if I told you I'd run a game where you could play Mr. Freeze as a Weemick? Ooh, <laughs> Mr. Framick. <laughs> You're disgusting. <laughs> what if Mr. Freeze was a knoll? <laughs> what if Mr. Freeze was a Wamek that had a knoll riding him and the knoll had a metal robot beard? 
<laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's Gnarl's mount, his Awaymic. That he's. That's also Mister Freeze. <laughs> that's also Mister Freeze. For and no, has a metal beard. No, no explicable reason. Everybody has metal beard. Everybody does. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you all grow your metal beards. Man, woman, child, robot, non-robot. You know how people who sit at home and they listen to me say something disgusting and they're like, how can you even listen to that? What just happened here? That's how most people feel about me. Like, I'm like, how did I even sit through that without vomiting? <laughs> Man, <laughs> and we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.